it drives me crazy when people talk about belonging and all they speak about is feeling like they belong and feel, feeling great. No, no. Belonging is the whole ticket. It is the ups, the downs. Do you ever wonder? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to live an extraordinary life? Or is that only for people with exceptional beauty, brains, or talent? I know you are extraordinary. But when I look at me in the mirror, well... Ordinary. 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 Ordinary is all I see. Certainly, life has to be more extraordinary than what I've experienced so far. We all feel like this sometimes, but we don't have to. If you believe that your life and everyone's life can be more connected, more inspired, more fulfilling, then you're in the right place. Welcome to this Extraordinary Life podcast. I'm Kevin Monroe, and together we're going to discover life is extraordinary. Do little things really make that big of a difference? For me, being extraordinary is more of a choice. There is something truly remarkable about that. Are you looking for a place where people are more interested in who you are? Who you are? Who you are? Put in the extra in the ordinary. That's what extraordinary is all about. I want to live an extraordinary life. How about you? It's Kevin, and I want to welcome you to this episode of This Extraordinary Life Podcast. Thank you for listening. Whenever it is that you're listening, I want to pause and say thank you. Because, you know, in today's world, you have so many choices of what to listen to. And the fact that you're choosing to listen here just tells me something about you. And if you've not yet reached out, I invite you to do that. If you don't already know how to do that, you can hear at the end. Over the last year and a half, I've had a lot of conversations, done a lot of thinking, and more had a lot of experiences around belonging. And one of those people, a friend, Paul Howery from Seattle, is a person that I've had a lot of group conversations, experiences with through this Extraordinary Life community, and one-on-one conversations. Well, I thought it would be fun to share one of those conversations with you today on belonging. So here we go. Well, it is a real joy and delight for me and you listening to welcome Paul Hari to this Extraordinary Life podcast. Welcome, Paul. Wonderful to be here, Kevin. Thank you so much. You know, it's really fun. I always have fun on the podcast, but it's really fun when the conversations are with someone that's a friend and that we've had a lot of conversations and now we're just having one in which everybody's leaning in and has the opportunity to listen. We hope you continue listening. That's your choice. (laughs) So Paul, you know where I start these conversations. I want to ask you here in this moment in which we're gathering, what is something that you are freshly grateful for now? I am freshly grateful for chance meetings that have led me to some of the most wonderful and deep friendships that had I been guarded or whatever else, I probably would never have. I got some of the most, just the nicest messages today 
oddly from people that had to one who had to cancel the meeting and apologize and I, I was just like you know I've worked with this person I've played with this person and it's like oh it's all right you're one of my peeps we're all good and I got back this this loving thing full of hearts and everything and texting that basically the emojis were flying and it wasn't the non-emotion Spock emoji <laughs> <laughs> and that's the chance and then being willing to go there yeah so many there are different words people use for this some of this is serendipity some of this is synchronicity whatever those words are yeah opening yourself up being available and open i just had a conversation with a gentleman in the hour before this call who out of the blue right out of the blue reached out to me last week to join a gratitude encounter that i was hosting because someone in Hong Kong <laughs> saw it and said, hey, I think you'd enjoy being on this gratitude encounter with this guy, Kevin. What? Those kinds of things. That's serendipity. It's synchronicity. Whatever it is, I'm like you. I'm grateful for that happening. And I'm grateful that there are people, lots of people who are open to that. And not everything has to be mapped out and my people will get in touch with your people and we'll book something but it's just wow the universe god or that it's measured as a transaction yeah yeah where oh what, what do i get for being here right instead right. of what do i get for being here well so this is one of those conversations today we have no idea no that we have a direction and this is how i enjoy some of my best conversations there's a direction there's not a five-stop roadmap. So Paul, one of the things that you and I both feel deeply about is something I want to start with with you. And why does belonging matter to you? Oh, my heart just raced as you said that. <laughs> <laughs> raced in a good way? Yeah, good way. Uh, yes. It's like, what's he going to ask? Oh, duh. That's, of course, that's what he's going to ask. But at some point, it always triggers that response. It's, in my experience, it's everything. It's where we come together and do wonderful things. It's where we come together and we can endure the most difficult of moments. And it's just how our brains and hearts actually work. We're hardwired this way. And like I say, once, once I figured it out, and I had an inkling probably all the way along. It was like, yeah, this is it. And that was when I was a teacher. I went to Seattle Pacific University, top education school, West Coast. You graduate there, you're like the teacher that'll get hired anywhere. And I had a full years of lesson planning done where you break down all the learnings to their steps, incremental basis. All the activities are planned and developed so that you can create high engagement in the classroom. It's funny, we were talking about this before this ever became an employee workplace kind of thing. And it was the whole theme of creating a feeling tone in a classroom so that people felt loved and safe and willing to go and learn and make mistakes. I got all in there. I started out the, the beginning of the year and it was like, none of the lesson plans really meant anything. The students will learn if you know that they, if you love them, and then you have their back in the learning process. 
And what's funny, when you do that and you have their back, they have yours in response. They show up. They'll be accountable. They'll love back. And you can have a mediocre lesson plan and they'll learn brilliance from it. Or you can have this brilliant lesson plan and have no heart involved and they'll have mediocre learning. We will do for each other that no amount of money or threat can make us do. Okay. You first discovered this in the classroom with students. That was the blatant real awareness of it. Yeah. Right. Now, when did you realize it wasn't limited to the classroom and students that those same principles apply to employees and employers, not just teachers and students, <laughs> right? In the workplace. So, okay, the odd part about that was in the teaching setting, it was still a quid pro quo model. Set your classroom up this way, create this, create. We didn't use the term psychological safety. That, that wasn't the term. It was just a safe learning environment. You did all these things and then the students would learn. And that's actually not how it works. This is why learning development in the world, business world, education slash business, doesn't have a high return. I'm, I'm not trying to bash that learning development. If they would take that same, all the equipment and the ways that you can technologically bring learning and new information and experience to people and couch that into relationships. Because it's the love and the relationship for each other that makes it all work. And so once that was an aha on the really deep aha, I mean, prior to that, I worked as a child development counselor. I worked in the maintenance department at Seattle Pacific University. That's what I did while I did my graduate work there. Everything was about building these teams and they, they were all coming into play. And then when I finally went and taught, it was like, oh. And I was like, well, that's the same thing. Luckily, I taught high school and in the workplace, we're all just high schoolers with gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately getting to, or, or less hair and almost not much hair left. I wasn't going to call that out, but yeah. I, I'm glad you did. No. <laughs> but we're people and we're wired this way. And, and that was the stuff that we learned in education. Well, you don't change just because you leave school. You may have a different environment that truly is less coddling, but you're going to go into a place. You're going to have the same emotional states. You're going to have the same emotional needs. And like the big realization was, oh, you have to belong. I mean, this is why middle school, now it's middle school. It was junior high when I was a kid. Was it junior high when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Okay. For those of us who remember junior <laughs> high, woo! Why is middle school so tough? Because belonging is a mess. Hormones are going all over the place. It's, it's cats and dogs raining all over the place. It's crazy. And it's hard to follow. And so values get lost. And you got to belong. And you belong with a set of values. And the values lived. So belonging is everything. And that's why, man, middle school is so tough because brain-wise, you've gone from concrete operational, and I'm whiffing on what the next stage is for the learning and development of the brain. Sorry about that. But it's where now you can start going hypotheticals. This is why adolescents understand and make jokes and they're sarcastic and you're so annoyed and you miss, I wish my sweet young child was still here. No, they're sarcastic and they understand irony. And they will use it against you <laughs> because their brains now work that way. And they didn't work that way before. 
And so this set allows somebody to go, oh, I'm not enough. And then, but if I'm with this person, I'm in and I belong. And then all the, the inferior areas come to play. Well, that's, that's the same stuff that happens in the workplace. I was just in a meeting with a client where they said, what if I go do this, go for this job? And then they decide they want all the great ideas and then they go for somebody else. They're going to take all the good stuff. That's nothing more than being in a space of, I don't belong and I don't know if I'm enough. Will they pick somebody better? That is every single day. That's how most companies hire people. Yeah. As opposed to, by the way, I got to say, Rich Sheridan, his book, Chief Joy Officer, by the way, best recommendation. I love it to death. I see why you asked me to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. It is that point where coming in and being part of something and it, it's not being brainwashed. It's if you belong together, that means you will work together and you will pick up each other. You will, the term I like to use is you own, you feel, you own, and you care for each other. Belonging isn't just feeling it. It's the ownership. You take accountability for each other and care for it, which means you won't sit by and watch your tribe mate suffer. If you set a classroom up like that, you'd be amazed. I mean, I articulated that to the kids. This is what you'll do. This is how you'll take. You love this. You're going to have that role in the classroom. So when I left the classroom to go into the professional world, it was, oh, I'm doing this. It's how we do things. Hmm. It drove my IT team nuts at first, I will guarantee you, because the command and control model, which is very common in an IT space is not what I used. I'll use uh, Shirley's words, which is, I guess it's Barry Waymiller's thing, which is span, those in the span of your care. Right, right. Not span of control or sphere of influence, those yeah. in your span of care. All right, Paul, there's several threads I want to pick up and pull forward from what you've just shared here. One of those, when I was listening to you my mind was taken back to a meeting I was in, and I, I vividly remember this meeting, and it was 17 years ago now, maybe 17 plus, somewhere in that time frame. And Barbara Sable from the Kellogg Foundation was doing a talk at a town hall, and she shared the story, and all of a sudden, she teed up this phrase, and she shared this phrase, the phrase, relationships are primary. All else is derivative. Ah, that is a huge amen. I've seen that written at times too. And every time it's like, yep, yep. Relationships. And so all of this, a lot of what you're talking about is the context of relationship. It, yeah, relationship. So let's explore this one a little bit. Well, what are the parameters or the ingredients that make for healthy relationships, allow for healthy relationships, <laughs> allow for healthy relationships. And I'm, I'm not even going to put in the workplace, in the classroom, because the conditions are the same. <laughs> we're, we are human in work and out of work. Yeah. We don't change, which is that, you know, this is that uh, 50s formulaic. Actually, if we go to Taylorism, it goes even right. back farther where we could control everything. And we don't, we're human beings. The, the relationship components that really have to be there 
vulnerability, everybody talks about that, but they should, but being actually vulnerable, not a martyr per se, because there's a difference between stepping in front of a bus <laughs> and being close enough to have a, a negative impact or effect. If someone is going to wipe you out, that's not vulnerability. That's submitting yourself into a vulnerability is I've just met Kevin. Oh, he seems really super cool. I'm going to share some of my personal intimate self. And that's risky because if Kevin's a schmo, he might use it against me. But thankfully, Kevin is nowhere near a schmo. He's a beautiful <laughs> human being. And I love you, my friend. Oh, thank you. That's the key, one of the key components that has to show in there because that's part of the relationship. And I want to step the, the discussion up a little bit more. Relationships are everything, but I'm going to take it to the, the deeper and it almost goes mystical woo-woo, which is it's belonging. Because we have lots of relationships and relationships mean there's, it's bi-directional, which is, can I go on a tangent really quick? It's going to be kind of well, before you do, let me just make a point here. When we say relationships are primary, all else is derivative. We could easily say belonging is one of those derivatives of right. relationship. <laughs> Correct. Because there is no belonging without relationship. Right. But we could say the same thing. There is no belonging without vulnerability. There is no belonging without psychological safety. There's no belonging. But this is where I say it's, it's the bigger part and about all of those as individual components. They don't add up to belonging unless there's belonging. And that's where the sum is way larger than the parts. And we, in our typical scientific or transactional models, we try to set up for business and for our home lives, for that matter, we set up quid pro quo. If we do this, this, and this, we have that. I think that's the trap we get into. Well, what's a good relationship? Well, that's like, well, what's good belonging? Well, that means a common set of values that neither of the two parties will break. They will take them as a sacred component, aka being part of a church or in Rich Sheridan's world, being part of Menlo. <laughs> These are those components that set the stage to truly have each other, even though relationships are everything, but so is wrong. You can't have a relationship without vulnerability. Right, right. But you can, in a way, you can have a quid pro quo relationship or an expectation that if I do this, this will happen. Some would call that a relationship. It makes for a very, probably contentious marriage. <laughs> and in truth, anything we do when we join a company is really nothing more than a marriage. It's that union of two people in shared value, in shared promise and purpose. If you and I created a company and we invited somebody to come on board, we would go, here's what we live by. And here's the beautiful thing we're trying to do in the world. And we love your interest in coming to join us. Will you and will you agree to go with us in ups and downs? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he did that whole thing. That's really what it is. Otherwise, they're a mercenary. We're going to pay you this. We're going to get this task done, which, by the way, when people say, well, that's so bad. I go, no, it's not. What if you're not at the stage where you can pull and get a full-time employee, but you can hire a mercenary to come in and take that skill gap and have it solved until you can then develop that in your actual tribe. And then sometimes even the mercenaries go, well, I like your tribe. Can I stay here? In my last company, 
the CTO was actually, he became the CTO and stayed there for what, four years, five years. And he came in as a mercenary to come in and fix a technological problem. And he, he fell in love with the tribe. And then if it works, it's belonging. And my belonging, your belonging will be different than the next two people based upon the shared and the values. That's where the magic happens. And we can identify where things break, but you can't just say, well, then if you have this, this, and this, it'll work. True. So where's one of the places it breaks most quickly? Self-preservation. The moment, if we were in tribe, the moment that I went, oh, could be brother or sister, it doesn't matter, or they, I'm like, uh, I got to take care of my own, see ya. And you may do that passive aggressively. You may do that overtly. It may be accidentally even if we're not mindful enough to know where we are. And then all of a sudden you've sacrificed Spock moment. (laughs) The needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. That's a Star Trek reference for all you nerds out there. (laughs) I'm wearing a Spock shirt right now. (laughs) And Paul knows he has to explain these for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Although you did get captain's log. (laughs) But this is the tribal tension that will always exist. In, in tribes, it is the individual. And the ideal is the individual will give their all for the tribe. However, the moment the tribe will sacrifice the individual, the tribe is lost. Belonging is broken right there. And that's, that's when leaders and people make self-preservation decisions instead of tribal preservation decisions. And then you can say, well, well, we cut half the company to survive. You may have to do that. This is a business world and nothing is perfect. Know that when you do that, if you do not include everybody in the decision and they're not drawing their own straws, they will have, they'll have that problem. Those that were kept will wonder and will always have, when will my straw be drawn? If that's the case, they are not owned in the failure and success of the tribe. So I want to unpack this a little bit here because I think this is one of the big misconceptions. Okay, so your business is called heart-based leading. When you talk about heart-based leading, some people would go, oh, so you never make hard decisions, right? (laughs) There's this resistance to make the hard decisions. And I, well, I know. I know you well enough, not just what you said, but from other conversations. No, that's not the case. Opposite. Especially when hard decisions are called upon, we make them differently. Yes. Unpack that. What's the difference? So, because I think some people fear creating a place of belonging, because what happens if we have to unbelong somebody, right? Some Separate someone no, from it, the entity. It, it, no, it's exactly. And that's, oh man, this is the biggest mi- misconception. This is why, by the way, tangent, it drives me crazy when people talk about belonging and all they speak about is feeling like they belong and feel, feeling. No, no. Belonging is the whole ticket. It is the ups, the downs. I'm saying I'll put it, pull it back into the the marriage component. And I don't care if it's a civil marriage or a religious marriage, it falls into that category. And if you're, 
in the workplace, and I've had to deal with this, I've had to do these, this exact type of thing. If you're leaving somebody in a place because you don't want to say, are you really capable of this? And not call out a values misalignment or a skills gap or an aptitude, just even an innate ability for somebody to do that. And you leave them in that place where they're going to fail. That is discompassionate and just rather unkind. And, you know, people want, they feel nice. They were laughing all the time. No, sometimes the biggest joy is people struggling and working together, overcoming something. And in that, that victory of that success against all odds, every entrepreneurial nightmare, that's just, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. And you make it because you were with them and they were with you. That is the thing where people get in. Being kind to say, no, this isn't right. And I remember one of the ones where I had to ask a guy, look, the environment here functions this way because we get wagged by gigantic clients, my former company. And this seems to go against your grain. And it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't do anything. But if this isn't going to work for you, and I need to know because I'm getting the sense it's not. If it's not, I will find you a new place to work. And it, it, that's the reality. If you're not doing that, you're kind of a jerk. You're not being kind. And we should be being kind. Asking somebody to do something, and yet without giving them the abilities, the training, the skills, or the emotional support in the space to get to it, that's unkind. People that can't do it and keeping them in that space, that's really unkind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's okay. We all belong to the human race. None of us are leaving this earth. That's forced collaboration. We got that. And there's a conflict there. You can resolve the conflict in compassion and kindness, or you can resolve it in cowardice and the name of being nice. Wow. Okay. You can resolve it in compassion and kindness or cowardice. I got a little judgy there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment, but I almost forgot there's something I want to share with you listening and invite you into it. So pause a moment and then I'll be back with Paul. We're back and we're continuing this conversation that's talking about at the heart belonging, but we're also talking about heart-based leading. But Paul, there's one question I really want to unpack with you. And I'm just going to, there's a phrase you wrote, and I like it because of the wording. We fear less in belonging. Okay, so there, there's some people who want to be fearless and believe you don't fear at all. So that's one of those questions that, that throws me when somebody says, so what would you do if you weren't afraid? That's a harder question. What would you do if you feared less is a little more realistic for me to embrace. So let's unpack this fearing less. So let me throw another one. I'm going to give you one more layer on that because I love that transition. What would you do if you knew somebody had your back? Yeah. And you're yeah. in fear. See, now we're going to where courage actually comes from. So courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the moment when you know somebody has your back and then on the greater side, and this is the one that people seem to forget about talking about, is when you love somebody enough that you will go into harm's way. 
that when you will go into the unknown, I will make a decision for the sake of the people in my company, even though that might be my economic peril. I remember in a very contentious space where somebody in a workplace setting actually threatened me in a, there was a, like a civil war going on in the company. And I says, look, you'll do what you have to do. I'll just let you know right now, I'll do what I have to do for the sake of the people that are under me. And it was funny because that stopped all the threats right there. <laughs> and that's the part where there's courage because someone has your back. And that means somebody's going to catch me if I fail. And then there's courage which says, no, you will not harm my sister or brother. Or Gracie, my dog. <laughs> my, my little muse, Gracie. And that's part of belonging. That's, that's going back to that feel, own, care for. I keep those three things because that's empathy, accountability in our typical neural, our social science terms now. That's empathy, accountability, and compassion. The reason I, I separate empathy and compassion is it's really simple. Empathy can be useless. Oh, I feel for them. I, I understand them. I can empathize with them. If you don't do anything about that, what good is it? And it's not to put everything on do, 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 because that usually leads to do, do. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. I, I. Maybe I should go back and put in a warning that, that there'll be at least one corny Paulism that pops up in the conversation. <laughs> Those things, that's what makes the tribe. And that is the hard decision. Or, or, um, Jeff Weiner has a podcast with Oprah Winfrey where he talks about that. He calls it, I think, the manager's job, which is fine. Leader, manager. There's, I don't differentiate. I love Rich Sheridan's. No, there's bosses and there are leaders and there are good bosses and bad bosses. There are good leaders and bad leaders. I loved his whole talk on that. But um, back to Jeff Weiner's thing. He says, the pitcher who may be pitching a no hitter and the manager sees he's starting to get off the mark. The players are starting to hit the ball longer. I got to pull him out. Because it's, and to go back to the earlier thing, it's unkind to leave him in a situation or her where you're going to lose it all. And, and that's, that's leadership and compassion. That's belonging. That means you're not owning that person just because the outcome for the company is going to be crappy. You're owning it because you don't want that person to put themselves in that self-sacrificial space that they don't see coming. That's owning a person's success and failure and dreams right there. Now, granted, I bet you that baseball team is going, no, we don't want to lose the game. <laughs> but in real leadership, the ownership is the founder, the CEO, or the, could be the, the manager of their team of, no, we're going to win, but we're not going to win. Again, I'm not willing to win at your expense. Our expense is okay. Like uh, Barry Waymiller, all should suffer a little so that none should suffer a lot. Okay. Another aspect of this belonging that I love that you talk about, it's one of my favorite words besides belonging. Belonging is like at the top of the pyramid, but aspirations is another favorite of mine. I love asking people to talk about their aspirations, and, and it's a word that's not used in a lot of circles. But you talk about aspirations become 
reachable in belonging. And the other side of that, fear is less. And it really is. Let me go back there really quick, because this is why aspirations become reachable. The fear is less. Like, we, we don't want to go into a haunted house alone, but we'll go with our best friends and just get scared to death. <laughs> and then we'll come out and we'll go, oh my God, ah! and then we'll laugh about it and then maybe go have a drink about it and whatever else. That's because neurobiologically, fear is simply less when you're with somebody mm. that you love. It's why someone on their deathbed says, please stay, don't leave. It's why last rites are so powerful, regardless of your faith. Same thing on the aspirational side. Nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants more. As a real clear example of what real aspiration is, if 70% of the workforce is not engaged in their work, which means imagination-wise, they're somewhere else, they're actually aspiring to be somewhere else. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. No, I, I agree. Once you start thinking about it, it's like, oh, I don't have a place that's worthy of, I love this place. Yeah. So aspirationally, what happens is we all want to succeed. We don't want to fail. When we're left to our own devices, we're the caveman or woman and a saber-toothed tiger is coming and it's, oh God, I'm going to die. We're not really going to die, but that's the neurobiology that's happening. And when we're alone, we're alone. Together though, we're like, oh, two different perspectives. I can get confirmation. Hey, what do you think about doing this? It's like, well, the last guy that did that fell off the cliff. I'm glad we talked about this. <laughs> when you come together, we start seeing aspirations from the multiplier of our strengths, not my strengths. And when that happens, that aspiration that one may hold dearly in collective with another person where those aspirations, when they come together, join in further another or possibly the same aspiration or a bigger aspiration, then their aspirations, they know going forth, somebody's got my back. I have the courage to go towards that aspiration now. It's not bigger than me because it's a we now. W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me, everybody's favorite radio station meets, and that's uh, from Walt Brown, I love when he said that, <laughs> meets W-I-I-F-W, what's in it for we. Now we'll do that. We'll go for it. And even if you're going to lose, you'll go for it. I described... Uh, aspiration of, if you want to get something big, and you want to make it happen. How are you going to get there? Well, you're going to call somebody. You're going to have this. You're going to do that. And then all of a sudden, the fear that you're feeling about that, it goes less and less and less. And your aspiration goes higher and higher and higher. Our work world, unfortunately, says, hey, Kevin, you're individually responsible for your stuff. And by the way, if you don't do that, you're fired. In a cooperative world, in this this may go back in part, my, my affinity for caring about this is I had one of the most incredible anthropology professors, Ken Tollefson, who revealed so much about the local Pacific Northwest native cultures, where we preempts I. And to see that and look at their history and their traditions mm -hmm. and studying that and getting to meet them and talk with them, it was like, oh... There was no survive. There was no thrive without it. But 
once you have that, aspirations come into reach. Even the individual ones that you might care about more than the person that you're on the walk with right next to you. So, Paul, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm watching our time is time keeps slip, slip, slipping away. I believe this. <laughs> Sounds like a song. song goes. Gonna, sounds like a song. <laughs> <laughs> What's your aspiration for the future of belonging and the future of work coming together more than they do now? First of all, what I've seen in the last probably five years is to have people not be afraid to talk about belonging. And that's been interesting because I've been told I've been full of doo-doo many times because belonging doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's more of a Jack Welchian kind of kind of model towards business, I guess. My thing, my great aspiration is that all workplaces will care for each other and belong so that somebody can go home and go, I just did something magnificent. And magnificent might have been created the the virus that solves COVID, <laughs> they, sorry, the, the, not the virus, the, uh, what's it called? Vaccine. vaccine. The vaccine that cures COVID. Or it could be that the person who answered the cable question that allowed some people to watch their movie together and have a warm family moment. And they get to feel good about that and part of the tribe and that they matter. And they take that goodness that they have from where they belong at work and it just flows into their family life. That's the game changer. And you have to have belonging to make belonging and keep it going. And it requires shepherding and work. But to have that happen in the workplace, oh, every workplace. Yeah. So here's what's so interesting it is so many people at work don't want you to bring your home life to your work life. And that's impossible to stop. Just like what you just said in your vision, it's impossible to prevent taking your work life into your home life. So the vision is that your work life carries over into the home life in the most positive way possible and ripples waves of goodness, waves of belonging into the home, into the community. Oh, absolutely. So I had. Two events that when, and when I was at Fulcrum that I watched the magic of this happen. Actually, I'll just do one right now because of time. I remember going up, we used to do these show and tells and I asked the develop, the developing crew, the developers, not to think about making a perfect product not to about think about the agile, but to think about making a product so good that our users would have such an easy and good time in their work that they would love doing their job. They would do it happily and they would solve massively hard problems with it. And that because that worked out so great, their senior managers would go, God, you did such a wonderful job. We're doing this. And they would be able to pass up the good news and the good news would then hit the top. And then the, the good benefits would flow back in through. And then they would go home, not tired, not beat down from their workplaces and they would hug their families. And I said, you guys aren't developing software. You're saving marriages and relationships. And so I was, you might call that high fluid nerve, like, you know, pie in the sky, dreamy 
Hey, Paul, come back to Earth. Pollyanna. Mm-hmm. I've heard them all. The next day, lead developers went and asked if they could talk to the users. They went and talked to the CFO and said, I want to get this information so that I can create the best product. And it was like, yes, that's what it's about. And if people can go that direction, you end up having a very wonderfully joyous, fulfilled time at work. And then you go home and instead of having no energy for your family, you go home with love and joy and you hug and embrace. And instead of not having the energy to listen to your beautiful child tell you this wonderful story of how they just learned to spell their name and all the letters are backwards, sideways, and forwards. <laughs> and you could laugh and, and enjoy it and go, it's beautiful, instead of you did the B wrong. So Paul, what's the final thought you want to leave with us about the value of belonging? Find where you are enough, because that's where you'll belong. And if you find where you belong, that's where you'll be enough. Because this is the thing that we do. We go someplace to attempt to fit in. This is why when when people talked about culture fit being a problem, it is a problem. Because fit is paying attention to a set of transactional requirements that make you contribute. Belonging is you contribute, and you're the whole person, and all of you matters. So find where you're enough, because that's where you belong. And find where you belong, because that's where you'll be enough. And don't settle. Don't settle. Paul, for people that want to continue a conversation with you about belonging, what's the easiest way for them to do that? The easiest way is send me an email, paul at heartbasedleading.com. I'm even fine if people want to give me a phone call, but sometimes that might get missed. It's just (laughs) 206-714-6113. I can be found on LinkedIn as Paul Howery and Twitter at Paul Howery also. Well, thanks for joining today, Paul. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you, Kevin. Well, thanks. I'm doing something that I did in last episode, and that is for the community magic segment. I'm continuing the conversation, but this is different than the one I had with Theo. Theo and I just had this moment that came in the after conversation, but Paul, Paul's part of this Extraordinary Life community. So he's able to join us, not just as a guest on the podcast, but as a member of the community. Well, first off, thanks for joining me for this segment as well. Oh, my pleasure. I want to ask, because we've had rich conversations, explorations as a group in this extraordinary life about belonging. What have you experienced or observed in the context of belonging? What have you observed that's either echoed or amplified your belief in the power of belonging? (laughs) My experience with this extraordinary life Okay, first of all, I'm always, I'm a science dork, aka the Spock shirt. And so I'm always checking and second guessing because that's just how it works. And any second guessing that I might've had about, well, is belonging really the answer? Got completely wiped away. There isn't even a shadow of a doubt. It's a virtual space where the deepest, easiest connections where people get to come as they are show up in challenge, 
show up in learning, uh, show up in support and comfort, or, or better yet, I'll use the term from a bit ago, in compassion. Mm. Yeah. And realizing it's in part kind of a happy accident. I love that you went forth and actually kind of created it and went for it. It is the reality of the space. And it changes life. Uh, to an earlier reference, instantly we fear less mm. as part of this extraordinary life as a group. I'm pretty sure everybody in the group would say something like that. And we end up aspiring more. There's our aspirations actually start happening because we're together. I can honestly say for myself, I have gone forward in places where I was scared to death about going forward mm. because I looked back upon a Monday gathering and I went, no, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going forward with it. Mm. And so and I know that that's me and my own personal reflection, but I think we've seen enough in our group to notice yeah. that. Well, and I think the other thing that you said in our earlier conversation that I recognize is like, wow. And again, a lot of this, I love what you call it a happy accident. We designed things with out of intention that we didn't quite know how to plan for them to happen. And they've happened more beautifully than I could have ever planned. But the part, people have your back. Mm -hmm. People have your back. And nobody's taking a shot at your back. No. And even in challenge, it is done with the care, the compassion to be yeah. constructive for the other, which is, it's not what you see in the world business-wise because it's all about the task. And therefore, it's actually, it's not constructive on the actions to get somebody into a certain place. It's either criticism and or basically, you know, coercion, manipulation. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in this place. And then people reach out and they go and they make a valued, deep for themselves decision to go to a better place. I mean, we've had them in the group reach out and land a new client in a space where they weren't ready to reach out yet. And some just found it's like, no, I'm, I am worth it. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is. So this is what I'll say in concluding. Belonging is beautiful. Mm, it really is. Well, thanks for joining. I mean, what else do we say? <laughs> Belonging is beautiful. And when and where you and I belong, we become more of our best selves. So what you said, concluding the other conversation, find a place you belong. Mm-hmm and where you are enough, and see what happens in your life. <laughs> Love it. Because I think that's the definition of flourishing. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sounds really good. Uh, well, thanks, Paul. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Hey, I'd feel a bit remiss if I didn't extend to you a personal invitation to explore, to check out this Extraordinary Life community. It is a place of belonging, believing, and becoming. And we're just enjoying extraordinary things happening there. So check us out at thisextraordinary.life. 
To wrap up this conversation, there is so much that is baked into this whole idea of belonging and when and where we belong. We become more of our best selves, and it is we fear less. Oh, I love that. Not that you don't have fear, but you fear less, you dream more, you hope more, you achieve, aspire to more, and actually achieve more. So I hope that is your experience. If it's not a current experience, I hope it becomes one in the coming days, weeks. And as we go into 2021, I hope you flourish and thrive where you belong. You know, I love hearing from you. I always smile when I hear from you in the listening family. You can email me, Kevin, at thisextraordinary.life. You can call, text, or WhatsApp me. I love that Paul gave you his number. I give you my number every week. It's plus one four zero four seven one three zero seven one three. My hope is that you experience belonging today and that through belonging, it allows you to explore, experience, and enjoy this extraordinary life. And as you do, please remember, you always, whether you know it or not, you inspire someone else to do the same. Thanks for joining today.